Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Verse number one is going to be the basic principle that we're going to take a look at over probably today and next week as well. Verse number one there, if you have your Bibles there, it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this passage tells us that God gives grace so that we can succeed. God gives us grace so that we can win. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9 says, And he said unto me, Paul is saying about Jesus Christ, and the, and the lead up into this verse is that Paul, he was struggling with a physical ailment. He had some sort of physical ailment, some physical problem. He doesn't say what it is. Some have speculated that it might be his eyesight, that his eyesight was fading. He couldn't really see that well. There might be all sorts of different issues that would have come up physically in his life. We know that he was beaten, he was whipped, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned. I mean, you can imagine if you put your body through through that kind of a, of, a, of a torture, that you might have some physical problems. And so Paul is praying to the Lord and he's saying, God, there's this ailment that I have in my life and it's really hurting, it's really slowing me down. Will you remove it? And he prays to God, he receives no answer, no change. He prays again, no answer, no change. The third time he prays again and God gives to him an answer that he writes here in verse number nine. So he's writing and he's saying, after I prayed these three times, this was God's answer to me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So what Paul is saying is that God gave the answer of, I know you're going through a difficult time. I know that you have a health problem, but I'm not going to take the problem away. I'm going to leave it there. Now you might think, wow, what a terrible God. Why would God ever leave me in a problem situation where I'm suffering, I'm in pain? Wouldn't that mean that God is a, a, a bad God? Well, Paul is saying that God did it out of grace. He says, I want to do something for you. That's why I'm leaving it there. And the reason why I'm leaving it for you is that when you realize that you are weak, Paul, it is then that you will rely upon me who am strong. And so what God is telling Paul is he's saying, I'm leaving this in your life as a reminder. Just remember, you're weak. You're a human being. You have limitations. But I am God. I'm unlimited. I have all power. I am everywhere. There is no limitation of time or strength or knowledge or ability. So when you are reminded that you are weak, then you will come to me for strength. And so God gives this very simple, straightforward formula that we should be strong in grace so that God can make us strong. Let's read the verse there again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be strong in grace? It means to be fully trusting in God. We know that for by grace are you saved through faith, right? How do we get God's grace? It is through faith. We put our trust 
in God and putting our trust in God, we receive the grace of God. And in receiving grace, we receive strength, first of all, for salvation, but also for success in the Christian life. So we read six verses today. Verse number one tells us the formula or the model for success. Verse number two through six tells us the meaning of success. It's important that you know what success is and what success looks like. It's been said that we should not fear failure, but of, of succeeding at things that don't really matter. Let me read that again. It's been said that we should not fear failure, but that we should fear succeeding at things that don't really matter. See, we as human beings are really good at succeeding at things that don't really matter. I remember when I was a kid, I would, uh, you know, uh, the Nintendo came out, the Nintendo Entertainment System came out. I was like five years old, uh, and uh, I remember one year, uh, me and uh, my brother and our family, we had met with one of uh, my dad's friends. I, I don't know who, we were, I was five, you know, all I remember is the important part to me. I don't remember who it was. All I remember is that he gave me $50 and he gave my brother $100. That's all I remember. I don't remember the restaurant we met at. I don't remember any of these things. But as a little five-year-old kid, I remember $50 is a lot. I remember my brother, he, I was like, wow, he got twice as much as me. That's one of the things that I thought. But I was like, you know, me and my brother, we, we came together and we said, there's a Nintendo system out there that we want to buy. It costs 100 bucks. And so we went to the store and my mom, I think it was my mom, picked up this you know, box and took it over to the, uh, to the, you know, the register and uh, they you know, scanned it and said, all right, your cost will be whatever, 100 whatever dollars. And then she turned to me and we gave my mom my 50 bucks and my brother gave the 100 bucks and we went home with this Nintendo Entertainment System. We were playing games like Mario, we were playing games like Zelda, we were playing all these, you know, classic games. And I remember we were having so much fun, we were trying to beat these games, we were doing all of these things and trying to set high scores and all of that. And, and uh, later on, we went to, uh, I went to a, a Christian school. I remember when I was in third grade, they had a computer in the classroom. And uh, you were allowed to use the computer if you finished your work for the session. So we would stay in our classroom and you would get like 50 minutes to do math or whatever. You would do 50, you get 50 minutes to, uh, to play, you know, uh, or, or to do English. And so we would finish our class. I was really good at math, so I would always sign up for math. I want to use a computer after, you know, I'm done with math. And so we would go and there was this game called Pac-Man. And so we would go and I would play Pac-Man and then I would get the high score. And then there was another classmate. Her name was, uh, I think, Diane or Diana she was really good at like English or something. And so she would sign up after English. And so after I would get a high score, she would go and she would set a new high score. And we would do this game every single day. We would never talk to each other about it, but we would always go over and then we would play. I'd be so happy whenever I got a high score. I was like, yes, I beat her. Now that I'm in my thirties, I'm like, ah, did it really matter? <laughs> Nobody cares whether I got a high score in Pac-Man. Nobody cares whether I beat Super Mario Brothers. Nobody cares about those. Those are things that I had a lot of fun in. I really devoted a lot of attention and time to winning in these things. But these are things that don't really matter. Can we be honest and admit there are some things in life that don't really matter? Can we admit that? Can we be honest enough and admit 
that we've poured our lives in some way, shape, and form into these things that haven't really mattered? Can we be honest and say, you know what, I've spent so much time and dedication and all of this effort into some of these areas that really now that I look back on, or maybe one day you'll look back on and say, why did I even do that? Why was that so important to me? Why did I invest all of this time when I could have been doing some other things, some more important things? Jesus puts it this way in Mark chapter 8, verse number 36, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. You know what Jesus is saying is, there's so many things in life that you could succeed in, but if you lose in the most important area in life, it doesn't matter. You could be the most powerful person in the world. You could be the wealthiest person in the world. You could be the smartest person in the world. You could be the most popular person in the world. But if you die in your sins and you go to hell, it doesn't matter. Can we be honest and say, you know what, there are spiritual things that matter more than the physical things? There are areas in our life that are more important, and Jesus was trying to help the people there to, to get a better picture, a bigger picture of what really matters. In Luke chapter number 8, Jesus gives a parable of the sower and the seed. And he said there was a sower that went out to, to there was a, a, a man who went out into his field and went to sow the seed. He's going to plant his crops, and he went out there, and you know, this was back before John Deere and all of that, so you would literally take a big sack, and you would kind of tie it around you, and you kind of hold it, and you would grab a, a handful of seed, and you'd literally just throw it out into the field. I mean, that's how sophisticated it was. And you could imagine that all the seed, some of it would fall into good ground, some of it would fall into bad ground, it might land right perfectly on top of a rock and that seed has no chance you know and jesus is giving this example and saying there's uh, there's you know packed down soil wayside soil there's rocky soil there's good soil and then he said that there's thorny soil he said here's the thorny soil the thorny soil is the man who or woman who has received the word of god in his heart he has trusted in jesus christ as a savior but a seed that gets planted into the ground you expect to grow and to produce fruit that's what you would expect and, but here is a plant, here is a seed that was planted into the ground, but it's not producing fruit. Why is that? Well, he says in verse 14, And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Here is an individual, they have trusted in Christ as their savior, they are saved, they're on their way to heaven, there's nothing that can change that, and yet there is no fruit. You know why? Because they are succeeding in things that God has made clearly choke out the fruit, the real success in life. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. We live in a day of social media. We live in a day in the world of the internet where you don't just see the people that are right next to you, you see the people that are all around the world, right? You see people that are down the street, you see people that are in the next city over, you see people that are on the other side of the country and on the other side of the world. And that means that it's so much easier to show off all of the things that you have and do. And it's so easy with the way that our cameras are to make something look so perfectly epic, right? You know, you just got to frame it just right and something that's very normal will suddenly look very amazing and impressive. And, and uh, that's the trap of social media. 
The trap of social media, in large part, is a developing jealousy for what other people have. I wish that I had the clothes that she had. I wish that I had the cars that he had. I wish that I had the life that they had. I wish that I had the home that these people have. And there's all sorts of opportunities for jealousness and envy to arise. And God is giving us this parable to say, hey, don't get caught up because a man's life does not consist of what you own. Your life is not the, the number of dollars in your bank account. Just because you suddenly gained a 2x increase doesn't mean that you're 2x the person that you were before. Right? That's not how life works. I'm suddenly a millionaire. Now I'm a big deal. That's not how life works. The lo- a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possess- possesseth. And Jesus gives a parable. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself that, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He's saying, I'm so successful... He's a farmer. I'm so successful that my storehouse, my bank account, if you will, my savings account is not even big enough to hold everything that I've got. So I've got to build a bigger barn. So he says in verse 18, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods and laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. What he's saying is, I made it. I made it in life. I made it so that I don't even have to work anymore. I can retire early and my life is set. He thought he was doing really well. Verse 20 says, but God said unto him, thou, what's the next word? Fool? But he's wealthy. A fool? He gets to retire early. A fool? He was successful in business. God says unto this man, Thou fool? This night thy soul shall be required of thee. You know why he was a fool? He didn't think about the day he was going to die. He didn't think when you die, you leave it all behind. He didn't think when you die, you stand before God. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, this whole series that we're in, 2 Timothy, the the sermon uh, series title, if you will, is Powerful Tools for Perilous Times. All right. So we're going to see this theme of perilous times come up time and time and time again. So in this passage, perilous times should draw us towards areas that you and I need to be successful in. We're going to talk about four roles that we need to be successful in. This is what it means to be successful. This is why God gives us grace to be successful in these four areas. There's four roles, four positions, if you want to think of it this way, four kinds of mindsets that you and I, we need to have these if we're going to be successful. So as I mentioned, we're not going to finish the whole sermon today. We're not going to cover all of these roles, but there are four of them. 
And we're going to talk at least about the first one today. The first role is the role of the teacher. The role of the teacher. If we're going to be successful in life, you and I both, all of us, need to be good teachers. We need to be good teachers. Verse number two says this, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It's been said that teaching is not the display of knowledge, but the transfer of knowledge. See, when we're talking about events like that we've had, like Vacation Bible School, we've had events like Youth Camp, we've had other events, even with services here, we're, we're approaching these services and these times as teaching opportunities. They are teaching opportunities. And the idea is that God has something for us to learn. God wants to teach you something. You are missing something in your life that God wants to help you in. And he wants to teach you something. And so that's why we open up the word of God. We open up the word of God so that we can learn, so that we can grow. And, and it, when we come, it, it's one thing for me or somebody else, like Pastor Choi or Brother Robbie, to stand up here and display our knowledge. It's one thing for us to be able to stand up here and say, look, look how much of the Bible I know. And I've studied this Bible and I, I know what the Bible says here and I can tell you what the Bible says there. That's one thing. It's another thing if I can have this knowledge and then transfer that knowledge to you so that you know what I know, which is God's word. That's the goal. The goal is that I will study God's word. I will learn the word of God. And the goal is that, that I would be able to teach you so that you will also know the word of God. That's why we have church services. That's why we have a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. All right, why do we have all of these church services? Because there's a lot to learn about God, amen? amen? There's a lot to learn about the Bible. There's a lot to learn about ourselves. There's a lot to learn about our families and about relationships and all of these things. And so if we're going to be successful as Christians, we've got to be successful in this area of teaching. We've got these little kids, and I love these little kids, and I love the teenagers that we've got. If we cannot transfer our doctrine and our teaching to them, we have failed. If our kids grow up in this church and they do not get at least what we've got, we have failed. We have failed. You know why? Because success in the Christian life is teaching. Verse number two, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. There is a process of this transferring or teaching. This, the, the idea is a continuing process. The gospel is to be transferred from generation to generation. The word of God is to be transferred from generation to generation. Good doctrine is to be transferred from generation to generation. And God is saying, you need to be strong in grace. When you are strong in grace, I will give you my strength so that you can be successful in this area of teaching. God wants us to teach others so that they can teach others the same thing that we are taught. 
Paul is describing this process. He says, the things that thou hast heard of me. He says, I received some things from God. This is Paul the apostle. Paul has received revelation directly from God, and he put them down on paper. We have the word of God with us. He received something from God, and he said, there, here's something that I have in my hands that I have to give to you. What I have, I need to give it to you, and I've given it to you, and I'm giving it to you. But the process doesn't end there. The process needs to continue. It needs to continue to the next generation. Paul, he said, I received it of God, and I've given it to you, Timothy. Now it is your turn to transfer it to the next generation. Now, if you know your history, you'll know that the Bible was written a long time ago. It wasn't written last year. It wasn't written in the 1900s. It was written a long time ago. Now, how is it possible that something that was given a long time ago can be kept and transferred and given to you exactly as it was given a long time ago? First of all, we need to acknowledge that God is involved in this process. This is not a purely human process of me transferring it to you. You know, somebody gave it to me. I'm trying to give it to you. You're giving it to somebody else. There's more that is going on here. There is a supernatural element that is in play. But there is another element that God is giving to us here in verse number two, which is our commitment. Our commitment. The same commit thou to faithful men. What he's saying is God committed it to me. I committed it to you, and now you need to commit it to somebody else. And if we're going to be able to commit it to somebody else, we've got to commit to it ourselves. Nobody's going to believe you if you don't commit to yourself. I don't like it when I see, you know, celebrities on, you know, they, they do these ads, right? Athletes, they do these ads. Celebrities, they do these ads, right? One of the first questions I ask in my mind, I have no idea if they do or not. One of the first questions I ask in my mind is, does that guy actually use the product he's selling? Right? Does he actually use it or not? Right? And sometimes I hear people, you know, I actually use it. I started using it. It's been so great, you know, and I'm like, okay, all right, this person actually uses it. I mean, maybe they don't, maybe they're lying. I don't know. But, you know, that's one of the things I really want to know. Okay. Does Shaquille O'Neal really use the icy hot packs or whatever? You know, I see those ads. I'm like, does he really use that? I don't know. I mean, he's a big guy. Maybe he has like extra large, you know, icy pack, icy hot packs or what? Does he actually use it? He says he does. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I don't really know. But for me, if you're going to sell me something, shouldn't you be using it? Or at least can't you say, hey, this was a great help to my mom. This is a great help to my dad. I've seen it personally. This was great, and I would highly recommend it for anybody else or whatever. You want to see that. If we're going to be able to commit God's word to somebody else, saying you should believe the word of God, and they should believe the word of God, right? You should trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. You should follow God. What if the other person asked us the same question? Are you following God? Because you would want to know that answer, right? Are you saying it's so great? Are you doing it? Are you following it? Are you living it? If we're going to transfer it to somebody else, people will want to and need to know. They may not ask you directly, but they're going to look and see, does this guy actually believe it or not? Because people can tell 
that if making money is more important than the commitment to the faith, then we will not be able to transfer it to the next generation. They'll know. Our kids will know. The young people in our church will know. New Christians will be able to see it. See, if being popular is more important than the commitment of the faith, we're going to lose that next generation. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 9 says, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Here is Paul. He's saying, I've committed it to you, church, the church of Philippi. Those things that you heard me teach, I want you to do it. But not just the things that you heard me teach, the things that you saw me do. The things that you saw me live. Parents, this is why your role is so important. Your role is irreplaceable because your kids need to see every aspect of the Christian life. And they mostly only see all the aspects of the Christian life in your house. Because I don't always see you when you have a bad day, but your family sees you every day you have a bad day. Right? When you wake up in the morning, you're not feeling so great, your kids, your spouse sees you. And it is in that moment that your family will be able to see whether or not you really believe God or not. Whether you're really trusting God or not. Whether it's, oh, he's really nice when he's in a good mood, but man, when he's not feeling so great, get out of his way. All right? People can pick up on that. Kids will notice that. Oh, yeah, dad's not feeling so good today. All right, let's just go to our room and let's hang out over there. And then dad comes, where are the kids? You know, and you're like, oh, obviously they're in their room because they can tell. This role is so vital. That's why I think families are so important. Everybody's got a different family situation. I know, you know, everybody's got a different circumstance in the moment. But that's why I believe and preach and teach the family so much. Because kids are looking to see what does a real marriage look like? A husband and a wife. What does parenting look like? What does the Christian life look like? What does faithfulness look like? They're looking. And, and Paul said, you saw. You were looking and you saw. I'm not telling you to do the things that I didn't do. I'm telling you that you should do the things that I did. So the things that you heard of me and you saw in me, those are the things that you should do. And we need to remember this principle because Jesus makes it clear. You can't serve two masters. Luke chapter 16 says, no man can serve two masters. To, uh, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. All that we do must be done in the light of being a servant of God. That's why every aspect of Christianity should permeate your life. There's no leaving Christianity at the church and then you go to work and you do non-Christian things and then you come back and you become a Christian when you're here at church or when you're, you're at home or things like that. When we go to work, we go to work as servants of God. When we go home, we go home as servants of God. When we come to church, we come as servants of God. When we spend our money and where we spend our money and how we spend our money, we do it as the servants of God. So we need to commit to it ourselves, but then we need to commit it to others. 
It's one thing for me to live it and believe it. It's another thing to be able to commit it and give it to somebody else. It's one thing for me to commit to living a certain lifestyle, having a certain diet, having a certain way of life. It's another thing to be able to commit it to somebody else. That's the difficult part. It's easy for me or easier for me to live it for myself. It's much more difficult for me to give it to somebody else and have them to do what I'm doing. So we've got to commit to it ourselves first, but then we've got to commit it to others. And this is again, because especially we're coming off of vacation Bible school, this is where the home is so important. This is why the home is so valuable. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but there's been a lot of people that are trying to tear down the home, the biblical family, husband, wife, children. That's a family. Okay, I, I thought I was getting more amens there, but okay, let me say it again. Husband, <laughs> wife, and children, all right? I know every family, you know, you can't always you know, control your circumstances, but that's God's plan. God's plan is the husband, the wife, and the children. That's what God wants. That's what God designed from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, and then he had his kids. That's the family. And it's God's plan for you to transfer the faith in your family. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 6 says, And these things which I, have, I, I, I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. He's saying, I have given you the word, and you have the word, and you need to commit to it. You need to live it. You need to have it in your heart. Memorize it. Dedicate yourself to it. He's saying, which I command thee these days shall be in thine heart. And what does he say? Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. That's a big responsibility, parents. Whose responsibility is it to teach the kids? Mom and dad. Now, we do what we can. I'll do what I can. Brother Robbie will do what he can. Brother Mike, Mrs. Brooks, Mrs. Price, she's teaching the kids right now. They're going to do what they can. The nursery workers, they're going to do what they can. Life connection leaders, we're going to do what we can. We're going to do all that we can. But don't forget God's plan. God's primary goal is to work. Obviously, there's a church and we do what we can. But if you have a family where you have a husband and you have a wife that are saved, you got that responsibility. That's important. You shall teach it diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. When you sit down on the couch, what do you talk about? What do you talk about? Because God said, when you sit down in your house, you should talk about God's word. Now, I'm not saying you should only talk about God's word, all right? I'm not talking about that kind of family where they don't know anything that's going on in the world. You're not allowed to talk about toys, all right? Don't talk about toys, all right? But we should sit down and say things like, what did you learn at class when you went to church? When you're on your way home, that's a great question to ask. Stir up in their minds, what did they learn? Hey, that's a great lesson. Maybe they don't fully remember the whole story that they learned in Sunday school. Well, you could say, hey, you know what? I know the story. Hey, let me, let me teach you that story again. Let me, let me fill in the gaps. That's a great opportunity to be able to open up the Bible, to share with them, to give them a story. Maybe you want to even have a book. You can open up that book and read them Bible stories at night. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way. When you go to the grocery store, you talk about God. 
when you go shopping for, you know, school's going to start soon. You're shopping for new clothes. You're shopping for school supplies. Talk about God and about his word and teach him. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up, before you go to sleep, talk about God. When you wake up, talk about God. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and, thy, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. You should have God's word everywhere. And you say, that sounds so extreme. We should not fear failure but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. If we lose our kids to the world and our kids are never saved, like if my kids never got saved, wouldn't that be a failure? I would think of it as a failure. They grew up in my house. I work at the church. They have the word of God sitting there on their bookshelves and the gospel is right there in front of them. But if they never trust in Christ as their savior, isn't that a failure on my part? I mean, what does it matter if they become billionaires and they go travel into space and they get to do whatever they want? What does it matter if they die and they lose their soul and they go to hell? Isn't that a failure on my part? Isn't succeeding in the things that really matter? Isn't that important? It should be important. It is important. And what does it matter if, let's say, my kids do grow up and they get saved? What does it matter if my grandkids never get saved? What a shame it would be if my grandkids had grandparents that served in the ministry. We were, you know, I'm, 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 I'm working here at this church. I'm ministering here at this church. What a shame it would be if my grandkids never got saved. That would be terrible. I would feel like, what did I do? Did I miss something? Did I not apply the word of God? Now, of course, I can't guarantee that my kids will be saved. Everybody makes their own decision. I understand that. But there's this process of transfer that is so vitally important that you and I, we need to take it seriously if we're going to succeed at the thing that really matters. And that's why you need God's grace. Amen. Parents, have you tried parenting? <laughs> it's hard work. They wake you up in the middle of the night. Child, why are you waking me up? Oh, I woke up and, you know, I just want to be, go back to your bed. No, cry. And then I'm up for the next hour, two hours, you know. <laughs> it's hard work. And then you wake up the next day. You're not in a good mood. And then, you know, all of these different things can happen. But we've got to transfer it to the next generation. Why? Because of the preciousness of our treasure. That word commit. It's a command and carries the idea of depositing something valuable for safekeeping. It's this word that is used in chapter number one a few times about entrusting a treasure to Timothy. So Paul is teaching Timothy about the most important things. The, see, when we talk about the Bible, these are not extra credit things. These are the base, core, fundamental things of life. And we've got to transfer it and teach it to new Christians. We've got to see people to be saved. Transfer it to new Christians. Transfer it to our children. Why? Because they are valuable. So I was on vacation recently. I went up to the Seattle area. 
my family lives in the Seattle area. My parents are there. My brother and sister are there. Sister-in-law, you know, nieces, all, all of them there. Uh, they're, they're up there in the Seattle area. So whenever I get a chance to go, it's great because we've got the whole family together. And so we get to go. And uh, usually, especially more recently, we've been just kind of hanging out at my parents' house. And, you know, my kids get to spend time with their grandparents and they get to be together for a little while. And it's great. It's fun. And they get to, they get to play. You know, they ask uh, my mom to read them books and do all sorts of things, take them out. They go to the park, whatever, all, all different sorts of things. And uh, every once in a while, I get to spend some time with my dad. Sometimes I'll just, you know, as the kids are going to bed, you know, me and my dad will just sit there in the living room or whatever, and we'll just talk for a little while, and, you know, we'll get into the night. And we get to talk, and it's great. I enjoy it. Uh, I talk to him on the phone. We FaceTime. But it's just something about being there in, 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 in person uh, that's a little bit different. So it's nice. I get to spend time with my dad, and we get to talk. We talk about the ministry. We talk about the Bible. Uh, we talk about different things. You know, my dad, he's come and visited, and he would go to Brother Brooks's class, and uh, he would was there when you guys were going through the book of Job and uh, he really got into this book of Job and was reading about Job and reading the, bu the, the, the book of Job and bought a book about the book of Job you know and he was doing all this stuff and really getting into it and so we, we talked a little bit about that we talked about a different number of things well my dad has two hobbies uh, that he does pretty much every week uh, he plays tennis and he plays golf Right, so my dad, he's got some friends, and they play tennis pretty much every week, and uh, they play golf every once in a while. I don't know how often they play, but they, they play these two sports. And uh, I don't know what it is about my family, but we've never really gotten into tennis or golf. <laughs> my dad loves these two sports, but we never really got into it. Like, I never played golf on a team or anything, never played tennis. You know, we grew up, and, and uh, when I was in high school, maybe, we played tennis a little bit. And uh, we would go, and we would play tennis and have fun, you know, just at the court. I was terrible, you know, I've never learned officially how to play tennis, but we would go and we would play. And uh, this past time, we went up. And uh, we, were, we were able to play a little bit of tennis. And uh, so me and my sister and my dad, we went up there and we started playing tennis and we went out to the courts and, you know, we started playing tennis and, uh, you know, I was pretty embarrassed by how bad I was right at the beginning, you know, I'm trying to swing and hit the ball and it like goes way over there, you know. And uh, so I was trying to play tennis, finally got the hang of it, and, you know, so we're rallying back and forth. That was fun. And then uh, we also one time, you know, my dad, he brought his clubs, went out to the range and we started, you know, hitting some balls out there. And so, the, you know, that was nice and that was fun. We were talking about it, uh, you know, hey, it'd be really nice, you know, uh, for, you you know, you know, if uh, my dad could teach my uh, kids, you know, how to play tennis, you know, they could have fun together, you know, when they're hanging out together, they could go to the tennis court and they could hit balls back and forth. That would be fun. That would be really nice. And, and that would be good if my dad is able to transfer that knowledge of playing tennis uh, to my kids or playing golf to my kids. You know, that'd be really nice. It'd be nice if we as a family, my dad, you know, me and our kids. I mean, I don't know if, you know, that'll ever be a possibility, but, you know, let's say, you know, we could go out and we could play tennis. We could go out and we could play golf. That'd be nice, right? Be able to transfer that. That's wonderful. That's fun. That'll be good. That's something that we could do as a family. But would it be the biggest tragedy in the world if my kids never learned how to play golf or never learned how to play tennis? Now, my dad might be disappointed, but it's not the worst thing in the world, right? Wouldn't it be the worst thing in the world if my daughter said, you know, uh, Grandpa, I know you're really trying to teach me golf, but I really just, I really just don't like it. My dad would be heartbroken, but still he would love his granddaughter. He would say, that's okay. He'd say, okay, I know, not everybody's going to like golf. Not everybody's going to like tennis. You don't have to love tennis to be a good person, amen? <laughs> 
You don't have to love golf to be a good person. All right? But if we're going to heaven, we have to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. If we're going to be what we say that we are Christians, we need to follow God. We need to do what God says. I mean, it's one thing if my dad doesn't transfer the faith to me and doesn't transfer it to our kids, that's, or doesn't transfer tennis or golf. It's another thing if the faith doesn't get transferred down in our generations. It's another thing if we have a wonderful church here, but the next generation is gone and disappeared because nobody came up after us. It's important to remember because there's always this possibility of a termination in verse number two. He says, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It's been said that Christianity is one generation away from disappearing. It only takes one generation for Christianity to disappear. I don't know if you've really been paying attention. I haven't really been paying attention recently, but we just had the Olympics. We just had the Olympic Games, and I know not a lot of people have been paying as much attention. I haven't really been paying as much attention as well, uh, but the U.S. always does really well in the Olympics, right? We always do well. You know, you got women's gymnastics. They always do well. Swimming, they always do well. You know, basketball, we like always win the gold now, right? We do really well in basketball, and you know, there are certain sports where we do really well, and we always do really well, and we always like have the highest medal count pretty much every single Olympic Games, and we always do really well. Track and field is one of those sports where we do really well. We have lots of athletes that do really well. Uh, sprinting, you know, long distance running, you know, we got a lot of athletes that do pretty well. You know, we don't win everything, but we do pretty well. One of the races, though, that seems to be the Achilles heel for the Olympics for the American team is the men's 4x100 relay. All right, the relay is this. You have four teammates, each of you runs 100 meters, and you run one after the other. The first team to cross the line wins a gold medal. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. The US has not won the gold medal in the four by 100 in like 20, 25 years. Now, why would that be? Is it because our guys are just not fast? We just don't have good runners, is that why not? Well, actually, we have four guys, Two of them were in the finals for the 100-meter race. One of them won a silver medal. The other one came in like fifth or sixth place. We got fast runners. So if we've got fast runners, how can we never win? Is it because they don't know the rules? I mean, it's, it, you're running down the lane. <laughs> it's not that confusing, right? You know why we always seem to lose the race? we can't get the baton transferred to the next guy. Guy number one is really fast. Guy number two is really fast. Guy number three is really fast. Guy number four, he's the fastest that we've got. And we've got some really fast guys, like silver medalist you know, guys on our team, our team. But we never win that gold medal. You know why? That transfer process never seems to go well. That's what happened in this Olympic Games. What happened was the guy tried to hand it over and he missed and he grabbed the guy's jersey on accident. And then he tried again and he missed again. And then by that time, you know, the first guy's slowing down to make sure that he's grabbing it. And the other guy's like basically right next to him, like here, take it. And finally he got it and he started running it. But by then it was too late. They didn't even make it into the finals. That's the danger of Christianity. 
which is you might know and understand and live a great Christian life, but if you can't get that baton transferred, you're not going to win. Christianity is one generation away from disappearing. That's why it's so important and vital. What we've got, we have to be able to transfer it to that next generation. You know how we do it? We live it, we give it, and we get grace from God. See, success in the Christian life is transferring the faith to the next generation. If you've got kids, you know, you're, 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 you know, you got married, you got kids or whatever. If you've got kids, you have to transfer that. It doesn't matter if you die in poverty, if your kids are saved, isn't that a success? As opposed to you died a billionaire, but your kids are lost and they died and they went to hell. I mean, there's a big difference between succeeding at things that really matter and succeeding at things that don't matter as much. If you're wealthy, that's fine. That's fine. But God makes it very clear. There are certain areas of success that are so important and vital that they are worth committing our lives to. It's worth paying up for transferring that faith to the next generation. It's worth saying things like, you know what? I want to be as close to the church as possible because I want my kids to grow up in the church. I want to commit myself to this church. It's worth doing things like, you know what? I'm going to get a job that maybe doesn't pay as much, but I'll be able to spend more time with my family and I'll be able to spend some time reading God's word with them and showing them what it means to be a father or a mother, to show them what it means to be a Christian. Some of those things can be worth it and valuable. You might say, I'm losing $10,000 a year, $20,000 a year, $50,000 a year. But if you can transfer that faith to your kids, you're living a successful life. We're living in perilous times. One of the reasons why we're living in perilous times is there's been a botching of that transfer to the next generation. I don't think it's any surprise here in America. Church attendance has been dropping. Baptisms have been dropping. People don't care about the Bible as much. People who go to church don't even believe the Bible as much. There's been a transfer process that's been, we haven't done it so well. Is there any wonder why our country is in the state that it isn't? Of course it's not. We understand that. We've got to make sure that we transfer it to that next generation. How do we do it? We've got to get the grace of God. We've just got to put our trust in God and say, God, I got, I'm putting my trust in you. I, I'm doing the best that I can, and I, I just don't know what else to do. And God says, let me give you my strength. So we've got to go to God for his strength. Maybe you're teaching a class. Maybe you're in a ministry here. Maybe you have a friend it's really burdened for you say, I'm doing everything I can. I don't know what else to do. Go to God. Receive his grace. Commit yourself to it and transfer it to that next generation. And then we'll see that generation to grow up, to live for God. Everybody's got to make their own decisions. I can't make my kids be saved. I can't make them commit themselves to God. When they grow up and they graduate high school, they may decide, you know what? I, you know, Dad made me do it, but I'm not going to church anymore. I can't make them. That's their own personal decision. But we can do all that we can to transfer it to that next generation.